Hello, hello everyone and welcome to the most laid-off backtracking podcast in the world, House of Games. Today I'm joined by my yet-to-be-fired host, Odo! And two more soldiers are trooping in from the right, Mr. Karar and Ali. But before we get into today's discussion, let's open that door of this week's episode of House of Games. Welcome to this week's episode of House of Games. And now, finally, for the first time in, I think, four weeks, we finally have a guest. So I'm really happy to introduce uh, our guests, uh, Ali and Karar. And I think, without further ado, I will let you introduce yourself. So, Ali, do you want to start to tell us who are you and what do you do? Okay, first of all, I would uh, like to say I'm very honored to be here. Thank you guys for inviting us. Uh, I am Ali. I'm the 3D modeler and animator uh, in a game that we worked for like for five years right now. Uh, it's called Conquest, and uh, we'd like to talk about it today. Perfect. And uh, Karar, go right ahead. It's uh, my honor to be invited here today. I am Kiral. I am an indie game developer, and I'm also working on Conquest as a lead developer, lead programmer, and yeah. Great, and I think just as a first introduction for, I guess most of our listeners do not know anything about this game, so could you just give us the helicopter view of the game? What is it? Like, what was the core idea that inspired you to make this game, and what is like the vision for it once you do release it? Well, um, uh, personally, uh, I am like a huge fan of uh, the Battlefield franchise. My favorite game, actually, of all time is uh, Battlefield 4. Like, I started playing this game in 2014. And since then, like, I played it for, for all these years. And it was my, my dream to actually understand how this game works and, and actually, like, work on something like it. And so, um, the story starts from, like, looking toward, like, the new installments of the uh, Battlefield franchise. Like starting from uh, Battlefield One, and especially like uh, I personally like didn't like uh, Battlefield One, and uh, so I waited for the next one, and Battlefield Five came, and I also didn't like it. So I asked myself, like, um, can I actually like do something like that? And from there, I t- like looked up online, like found Unity, and from there. Uh, I started learning, but actually, like, I didn't take it seriously in the beginning. I, I was just like uh, curious. I, I never thought I could hmm. do it. Like, it's a huge project like that. Like, no, uh, yeah. not a single person can do something like that. But I found a game called um, Ravenfield, and this is a single player um, game that is like Battlefield. It's a very simple cartoon game. It includes like the same gameplay of Battlefield, and it's made by a single person, but it's single player. And that like mm. gave us the motivation to actually think that a, pro- a project like this is feasible, like it's possible. Mm. And and I, I just like uh, jumped right into uh, experimenting and prototyping and starting to like do uh, parts of the game. And yeah, did you have uh, any experience before this? Because like you said, 
I mean, it sounds like the naivest thing someone exactly. could possibly do. Like, I'm gonna make my own Battlefield game. Yes. Like, even someone who doesn't know game development should know that that's like a hell of a, yes. a thing to do. Like, the first game I made was just a small game, and I thought, well, yes, I think I could pull that off. But it turned out it was like three years of work, and that was also from scratch. So I'm curious, like, did you have yeah. uh, IT? Yeah, skills yeah. before you set out on this quest actually i, I personally like i uh, learned or was interested in learning uh, programming when i was like 13 years old i went when i when i started working on the game i was like 20 so i already like mm. know how to uh, program uh, and also i i like made a project in 2016 like i started the game we started the game on uh, late 2018 like before we actually started college we actually like i, I knew that i can't or we can't make a game like that so the first thing that I, I just wanted to familiarize myself with finishing a complete game. So uh, there was a game, like an old game that I played when I was young. Uh, it's called Cash Bash. And, and there was a game, a game mode in, which, uh, in this game, like, like Pong, but like four players uh, instead of two players. So oh. I decided to like make a game like that. So I named it like Pong Square. This was like my actual first game. So just to familiarize myself like with the... Nice. And could you just uh, give us a... What do you do in the game? So I get that Battlefield is the model, but in Battlefield you can do tons of things. So it's everything from vehicle combat to just being on the ground and parachuting and everything. So can you just give us your vision of what you want to have as the gameplay and you know what you do in it? And then you could also, if you want... Tell us about your parts in it. So how have you divided the work and, you know, how's that worked? And how many people work on it? Yeah, exactly. Actually, we are just like, when we started, we were like two. Me and uh, Ali, he is like uh, a close friend of mine. So we actually like live uh, in the same neighborhood uh, almost. So we are friends in real life. And, and actually, uh, I like urged... <laughs> my friend to learn game development just so that actually like uh, as as uh, Karag said uh, minutes before like we were just getting to college and it, it's it's like it's it was an exciting time we just getting to college and he like we was going out every day we are talking about like video games and stuff and development he was he like Karag was just getting like excited about game development at the time and he was talking with me. What should I do? And for Battlefield, like I, I was a, I was a fan of, of Battlefield as well. Like I, I played Battlefield Two a long time ago, and it was uh, ju- was just single player. I just played it single player every day. It and it was it was so exciting. Like for me, as 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 I started playing Battlefield, like from Battlefield Two, it was it was like the only game that make you feel that you are in in, a, in an actual battlefield. You know. Uh, like I, every every yeah. other shooter game doesn't yeah. this doesn't allow you the freedom to do everything. So actually, one time I I I remember I told Karar let's just make a game like Battlefield Two, just a single player. But uh, we we never like it. It was never a serious talk. It just it was just you know a talk. We were, we were talking a lot about that, and uh, like one day Karar come come to me, and uh, he showed me as he said like this game. It is possible. Look at this game. It is an indie game. It's it's made, I think, by one person. It's made by one person. And it was so exciting. We just decided that's all. We're going to give it everything. We're going to start making this game. And uh, it was an interesting time. As I said, we're just getting to college. And it's, 
things were very like it was in exciting time we were busy really busy and at the same time starting to learn like the one of the hardest thing you can learn which mm. is game development uh, like making yeah. a game like this um, was difficult mm. how you said you started working on this while in college like how many hours per day do you reckon you you managed to put into this project well first like for me i, I wasn't putting a lot into it because i was uh, getting into dentistry and it is difficult it is time consuming so i was like i was learning about on average like two hours a day it wasn't much Mm. For me, I was like as much time as I could actually. So, like I because I I'm like uh, like I do everything in this game except for three D modeling uh, and animation, uh, and I don't want to do level design. But for the time being, I'm also like the level designer. I, I I didn't mention something. The vision for this game, like we are just a huge fans of Battlefield. Like, we just want to make the, the old formula of the Battlefield franchise. We just want something like that. We just want it back. Mm. If, if you know that. Mm. <laughs> so, just a follow-up question on that. What is the old formula on of Battlefield? I've only played, like, one or two games of it. Yeah. So, so, which games you, you know, did you play? that you know nothing. Oh, I see. Like, the, the, how there are, like, classes, assault, there's a sniper, medic, in in the latest uh, installment of the Battlefield franchise, especially the latest one, they actually removed classes, which is like a core component of the game. Uh, like to me personally, mm. I I didn't even actually play the game because I can't like play this pay to win like what do, what do they call uh, them like um, heroes characters that are in it like mm. like games uh, because. Because of the like the change in the business model of these games, like they uh, mm. the service the the video game as like a service, this this kind of ruined the the mm. Battlefield franchise, my opinion. I wanted to say we had uh, some guests uh, from Nor- Norway a couple of episodes ago. They made a game called Falklands, and that's like yeah. supposed to be like Age of Empires, those games back in the day. And it also sort of, you can sort of tell they're inspired by that and kind of looks like that, but more modernized. As a big Battlefield fan myself, I feel like the games have become worse and worse and they're sort of moving away from the formula that really made the first games awesome, in my opinion. So I, it's, uh, I'm happy to hear that you guys want to, I don't know, revive the old type of yes, Battlefield yes. games. And... Uh, I agree what you said before. It's like the only games where you actually feel like you're on a battlefield. And I sort of like that with the first, uh, like the first game at least that, I mean, it's back in the day and I think it was only like 30-ish players per map or something, but you could like run around for a while before you actually found someone to shoot. And I feel like they are becoming more and more, I haven't played them at least the last three ones, but I feel like they're becoming a little bit more fast-paced and a little bit more modern warfare-ish or Call of Duty-ish. So the old ones felt more like real battlefields. So that's uh, interesting to hear. And just by looking at some of the images, I I feel just like I told the the guys from Folklands that uh, you seem to have captured some of that nostalgia for sure. So that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, but uh, but uh, as we said, like this is we, we stopped working on the game actually in two thousand and twenty for like various reasons. Uh, one of one of them is uh, my friend who was like 
very busy with college. And then I um, started another project, uh, which we'll talk about, I guess, later. So uh, originally, the game actually was uh, completely single player because, as I said, uh, making it multiplayer is like a massive, massive undertaking. So we knew that we started to do something mm. that is like uh, something that we can do because, uh, as I said, we saw uh, indie developers like the guy who made uh, Ravenfield, and uh, that gave us the push. But then, um, while we are working on it, like I, I actually implemented artificial intelligence that was able to control like uh, helicopters or uh, play the game completely. But I, I just felt like this type of game is like like it's not to be played in single player. Like the the heart of it is in in multiplayer. But I I didn't also mention that mm, we yeah. actually wanted to uh, to release it as a single player, and uh, after that, like we uh, we succeed and get some um, more money, then we can uh, do the multiplayer because the multiplayer is our like main goal. Then we saw a game called um, uh, which released like uh, three months ago. It's called Battlebit, and this actually kind of um, discouraged us. But then actually we changed our minds. We we said like we should we should never leave the project. We should come back to it. And this is another proof that it's actually possible to actually not only do a game like that, but in a multiplayer setting. And it's actually even like the battle uh, battle bet yeah. exceeds battlefield and things like the player count. Uh, there is like 200 players in the same single uh, server, which is not even like in Battlefield. Mm. Yeah. So an- another factor that uh, made us come to come back to it, like Karak just finished his networking solution, we, which uh, I'm sure you guys will talk about it later. And I just graduated, so like uh, as soon as I graduated, the excitement came back to me, like as hard as it came the first time. And uh, we just we just want to make it to start working on, on it again. Yeah, I did also have, mention that uh, like we, uh, we originally want to like implement the gameplay and uh, just like have a prototype working completely and then we will mm. hire like or get a level designer to actually help us because we know that we actually can't complete the game completely by ourselves like two people. Do you, uh, I always ask this when we interview people who make their own games like are all the assets your own or are there assets from the asset store and if they are are you planning to replace them with your original uh, all the vehicles are made uh, cool. by uh, by ali and except for like the soldier the, the, there is just a placeholder uh, soldier because we actually want to make a good uh, model mm. for the soldiers and uh, the animations the first person animation animations are also placeholders but we will definitely like replace them okay cool cool and uh ali you were graduating as a dentist is that what you said yeah yeah i just graduated and uh so uh, congratulations congratulations thank you and, uh, thank you thank you very much would you rather be a game developer or a dentist in the future to be honest i want to be a, a game developer <laughs> more than <laughs> i would like to be a dentist <laughs> a game developing dentist yeah yeah like uh uh, now when i see i see my friends they are talking about opening uh, clinics they are talking about working with like famous dentists in the city and uh, when they talk to me i will my mind is mm. is on game development it's on <laughs> it's on another like another subject i just i just like as as i said as soon as i graduated like the excitement come back to me mm. And I'm yeah. curious. You said you're gonna make a, a single player first. Is there a story in the game, or no, no, how would that single yeah. player 
version play out actually the plan was uh, for like the the like the same game mode that you play in multiplayer but with bots we we actually can't uh, do a story like how you will need cinematics and all that the the first like uh, the first vision was like uh, battlefield 2 like uh, the single player of battlefield 2 like uh, when, when when you see it like on the surface it doesn't look exciting like I'm talking about the single player, like it's just NPCs running around replacing mm. the multiplayer players. But when you play it, it's fun. Like you can mm. drive anything you want. You can you can do anything you want. As I said, it's, it's a battlefield. You you feel like you you are in a, in a battlefield. So the first plan was like this. And when we make some money, we will plan to make it a multiplayer. But then, like we decided, no. We're gonna go all in and uh, just create it. It's online game from the beginning. We we uh, like it's, uh, it's too like it, it it's a bit messy. It's that's too, but it's our like first project. It's actually like our like only game except for like my prototype game that I talked about. Mm. Yeah, and you know this brings me back to uh, episode we did we did with my brother actually. He, uh, the episode was about, he argued that story in games are completely unnecessary. But the thing that we discussed during that episode was that there is different types of storytelling. So you have one part that is very explicit, which is like, you know, you have specific characters and you have cutscenes and everything. But then you have more implicit storytelling which is for example the setting so say for example that this game would be set during for example the vietnam war or world war Two or something like that so do you have a setting for this game a specific time period or a specific war or anything like that so we want it like in the we like for us we don't like uh, futuristic games like even for battlefield 5 like it's not very futuristic but we don't like it we, we like in the present time. So every vehicle you see, every, like, all the settings would be in the modern time. But we decided, like, we, we already made, like, most of the 3D models for the military equipments. But then we decided, like, first we decided to put Russia, Russian army, on one side. Then we thought about, like, instead of Russia, all the flags, all the theme of the of the military would be like the Soviet, the Soviet army, but in the in the present time, like the Soviet army would be mm. would be come back or something. And we ah. put some some hints in it in the, in the level design, like we make a, a level design in Chernobyl, so like the Soviet army is uh, progress to these places, and uh, the fight would be a Soviet army against the. NATO army. Uh, I I think it it would be like uh, a real company, a good combination. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, NATO. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Have there been a game where NATO is the one of the the bad guys or good guys, however you look at it? I'm not sure that has happened so. in like a first there, person. There's no one on my, on my mind. I always think about that. Like it would be quite wacky to just take a. A peaceful country, well, Sweden up until we join NATO, I suppose, but like <laughs> Switzerland or something. It would be quite random. Like they just have this yeah. fucking army, and they, for some reason, they they need to go to war. <laughs> if you, from a story perspective, but yeah, I don't know. So another thing that I'm curious about you. So you say that you base, if I understood you correctly, that you base a lot of the like equipment and vehicles and stuff on actual models. Yeah, yeah. So. 
my first question about that is one is there any copyright on for example a specific model of a gun or vehicle and stuff mm. and is there any issues with like just copying that and using it in a commercial game that you sell and second of all it's it just remind me of a kind of a funny story that i think i heard about world of tanks or yeah. one of those games that you know the, there was somebody who actually leaked like actual mi- military secrets because when he said like oh well actually this model of tank isn't accurate it's actually looks like this and then he posted like huh. <laughs> like classified schematics of the tank yeah, how I, it I, looked and stuff i have i, I have heard about that uh, I'm, I'm also a fan of a very fan of world of tanks like for cap- copyright I, I have searched about it a lot uh, but it's like it's, it's vague like it, if you if you put the real names of the weapons, I think you might have issues. But if you if you if you avoid that and you just like put in when when you when you want to choose the gun instead of the putting the names, just put uh, like a like a small picture of it, small illustration. Yeah. The dimensions of the weapon, like try to make it a little bit different. Mm. Like it's mm, it, yeah. it look the same, but when you when you compare it to a blueprint. It looks a little bit different. So I heard that it's not a, a really big problem and the weapon companies uh, don't really go after uh, game developers for yeah. uh, making uh, the models like... I don't know. As I, as I searched a lot about it, it seemed like, okay, but uh, we have to dig yeah. more into, into it. I, I'm curious about the way you made it 3D models. Here on the, on the website, I see a helicopter and some limousine-ish thing with a gun on the top. <laughs> like, how long does it take to make one of them, for example? For example, the helicopter. How how many days of work is that to make? For the helicopter, actually, the helicopter is the only model which I have actually made. I'm not a 3D artist, but I, I decided ah, okay. to actually learn 3D modeling and because I love helicopters. My favorite thing in, in Battlefield is actually the scout helicopter. So uh, I made it a goal to actually model it myself. So uh, I actually made the first version, uh, and then uh, Ali actually polished it further. Uh, I didn't talk about the time, which is uh, what <laughs> the question was. Um, yeah. It's actually like I, I was like uh, when, when when I want to actually do something, I just put, it's like my my everything for the time being. So I like for an entire week, it was what I, the only thing I was doing actually. So for an entire week, I was just like huh. doing like five hours per day on it, I think. So like for the vehicles you see, you see on the website, like only only the helicopter will we will use from that. All the other vehicles, like it was just it's not final. We, we will not use it in the game. Like all the these are actually all my models. Yes, this, uh, the, the models on the website are mine. Which, yeah, yeah, all the models I created, we haven't uh, posted it. Yeah. Like, we want to create, complete all the uh, tanks, all the helicopters, and we will post it. The only vehicle which... Yeah, yeah it's actually the infantry fighting vehicle in the video. This is actually made by Ali. But but the rest are just, yeah. like, prototyping and learning for me. Yeah. Except the helicopter. So, as as for your question, uh, the like, when, when I started making the, those models, it was taking a long, a long time. Mm. Because I was nitpicking, and I was... Like I was taking a lot of time in really small details, but then I I started to look at it. Uh, look, I just have to complete this uh, model. 
you have mm. to think about a deadline. So for some models, like uh, when I created uh, Tank, it was uh, based on the T90MS. I took about uh, 60 hours. Like, it was it was a lot. Yeah. And uh, when I created the Humvee, it took me about the same 60 hours or something because it has interior, it has, uh, the gun has to rotate and uh, it shouldn't interfere with anything because like you have to think about a lot of stuff because mm. have moving part and the and soldier will be sitting in this moving part and he has not to collide with anything inside. So it took a lot of time. But uh, mm. now if I want to make those models, I, I would uh, create them in half the time. There was okay. a funny story, like when Ali was making the models, he was like sending the, the first version to me and uh, I just noticed some issues like with the shading and, and like some issues on the model. And like I told him to uh, fix them, but actually we decided to like uh, go and look at the commercial games like uh, Battlefield. And, and actually when we started to look deeply into them, we actually found out that there are like dozens of of mistakes of this kind already on on these commercial games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are there are a little mistake that actually we found out no one noticed. So <laughs> we become more uh, like I I would have fun more fun today when I make the, those models because I ha- I don't have to think deeply about not creating little mistake and I'm having more fun today. When like I we are talking about game. the type of mistake that you actually can't uh, notice on unless like you are looking for it. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, if they do want to look at these issues with big commercial games, what should they look for? <laughs> like for instance, in in Battlefield Four, like there is the tower in the map Gold Mode Railway. There is like a back face uh, issue. Like the model, when you look at it, you don't really see the face of the of of some of the parts of the tower. You only see like the back face, yeah, like, like the for front face. Flip, yes. flip normals and shading issues sometimes. Like even in unwrapping, like if you, if you look deeply, you can find some unwrapping issues in some uh, places. Uh, but it's it's really minor. And uh, but when we, when you when you are working on a model and you you are working in, inside the three D software, you like those little mistakes seem big for you <laughs> but like yeah. uh, it shouldn't take you shouldn't take that uh, the funny thing is that we look at these triple a games like as these, like being perfect yeah. some in terms of the style some of games like they are very mm. well done like i know there are bugs and all that but when you look mm. at the design of the world you feel like it's very well done but actually when you look a little mm. bit deeper you find out that it's actually also has bugs mm-hmm. mm, yeah so uh, two quick questions so first which which software are you using to model all of these uh, vehicles and everything and second of all would you ever consider for example say that smith and wesson comes to you and say hey could you make this actual gun in our game and we'll pay you this amount of money to feature it in the, in the game with the actual name and a link to our website or or whatever it, it is. Would you ever consider that? So for the 3D software, we use, uh, I use uh, only Blender to make the 3D models and also for the animation. For the second question, I didn't hear you, sorry about that. Yeah, so if a gun manufacturer, an actual gun manufacturer, yeah. say Colt or Smith & Wesson or Lockheed Martin or whoever, if they come to you and say, hey, we like your game and we would like to have our actual weapons in the game as a sponsored content, so then we will pay you to, I don't know what the deal would be, either we pay you this amount of money or we will 
like publish your game or whatever it might be if you make sure to have this and this and this in the game and sort of sponsor it so that everyone knows that, that this is a Smith & Wesson or whatever it might be. Well, if I look at it, like, if I look at it on the surface, I I think if, if the gun is, uh, is pro, like... It's on the, like, it's not really too futuristic looking. It's on the same style as our game. I don't think we have an issue about that. Actually, uh, like, the way I look at it is that I would accept uh, immediately, like, innocently. But I feel like uh, if people know, like, there are some people that are, like, very sensitive to things like this. So that if someone, like, works with these companies, like, they, are, they look at them as being evil or something. So I think some people may have some issues with that. Yeah. Well, that's the case with everything, but also like the, the kind of person who would play your game maybe wouldn't care about that. Like maybe don't they don't have? The yeah, yeah. Actually, but some uh, yeah, some people uh, like um, uh, loud minority. It calls some issues. See, see, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, I think if you want to, we could just transition to your other kind of big project that I, which is how I found you actually. So you're actually making. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but a network engine for game development. Yes. So, and the way I found it was that, as I understand it, it's made for Unity at first, but now you have ported it also to Godot or have started to. So, could you tell me about that project, how that grew out to to its own thing, and you know maybe the the journey of that project? So uh, that that project started uh, from like when I when we decided to actually like make our game multiplayer when after uh, as we said uh, so I I looked at the existing um, networking systems or solutions or middleware that was available at the time and I'm talking like 2000, uh, 2020 and at the time actually there was like two main options the first is Merrill and the other is Photon Bolt uh, Mirror is actually geared towards uh, casual games, simple games. Like it's, to be honest, like uh, I'm not uh, don't want to like uh, talk bad things about it. Like it's the most popular uh, network solution for Unity, but it, like uh, to actually make a secure game, it's a little bit hard using Mirror. So the other option here is Photon Bolt, which is uh, a product from a, a networking middleware company that's popular, and it's actually not completely free. It is a CCU based, so they the, the, the pricing model. It, personally, I just feel like it's not uh, indie friendly. So uh, based on all these facts, uh, I decided to make my own uh, networking solution, uh, and that was like my dream. Like I, I, I was always huge fan of uh, netcode or networking. So when I was playing uh, Battlefield, actually, uh, in 2015 and 2016, Battlefield 4 was, <laughs> as uh, many people know, was extremely buggy. And the netcode was like, there was a lot of issues with it. Uh, uh, and for some reason, uh, I was so, so curious how, how, how it worked, like uh, how these issues, why they happen, why the hit registration is not working. Like uh, for some reason, it, uh, I like became extremely interested in, in netcode and networking. And and uh, there was a YouTuber at the time who was like like making videos all about netcode, and he was like a huge inspiration to me. He his name is uh, his channel is called Battle Nonsense, and as the name implies, it's the about the nonsense that happens in Battlefield. Uh, so I was like a huge fan of his uh, videos, and 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 uh, I I like had some understanding from a gameplay perspective or, or, or on how netcode work or, uh, works. Like so, when I got like the 
the a reason when I got like an excuse to actually like uh, in in everything in my life I actually need an excuse to do something like I want to, a reason to do something like like uh, I I can't just like make a networking solution I just feel like it's kind of useless so like I have to have a, a purpose so the purpose here is that I need mm. it for my game and as I said like the options are are not fitting. So uh, I have like uh, decided to actually get right into it. So yeah, I started researching and stuff. And from that uh, story of Netflix started, it was like an internal solution for our game. It was like completely internal. So I worked uh, for like a year researching, developing, etc. Uh, and and I was like almost finished for our game, like for our game. But then I then I, because of the circumstances that happened that. Uh, as I said, uh, Ali was too busy with the with the college. I just diverged. So I like we stopped working on the game, and I just like my main thing started to became netic. So uh, b- what I mean is that I decided to make it uh, an actual public facing solution, and 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 actually I found out that it was like like completely different. No, not exactly like what I thought. Like to make something like it works completely works for me for our game and, and we are satisfied with it and everything but to actually make it usable and intuitive and easy to use for other people that's like a completely mm. different task so uh, i i would say like i spent spent a year making netic and I spent another year actually just making it a product like it's that much work uh, you have to put mm. uh, to make it actual product yeah is it a uh, something people can download now and use in their games, or is it like in a alpha state or something like that? No, no. Actually, I, I released Netic uh, for Unity in late 2020. Actually, in all this like time, the, the, there uh, came other networking solution which got uh, like too much popularity. So when I first released it, it uh, didn't really like get uh, like I I couldn't really market it. Like I can't really fund something like that. So I just put it out there and. And I already have like uh, five people, uh, like five projects, game projects actually, in development mm. with it. And uh, uh, so after uh, all this time, like after I released it, I, I after a few months, I decided to uh, like make the second iteration of Netic, the second version, because I felt like some things, uh, some stuff needed improvement and stuff. Uh, I started working on the on Netic 2, which someone in, in the community, he always like, like his his name is called uh, Vizarian. Shout out to him. He was the reason actually I could release Netic uh, Two for uh, Godot because mm. he he kept telling me that uh, he wanted to use Netic outside Unity. He just wanted to use it outside Unity, outside any specific game engine. Because of that, I decided like to uh, to uh, to make make it decoupled from the engine so that it can be used with any engine but not really any engine uh, all uh, only engines that actually have a, a c-sharp uh, that, that have c-sharp support like mm. most most popular engines except for unreal sadly they all have like c-sharp support like uh, flux stride um godot unity all yeah. the popular engines actually support c-sharp yeah and i just have to say to borrow a an expression that often rune uses that it's quite ballsy to not only you know 
have as an ambition to replicate something like Battlefield, but then also to say that, you know what, all of these network solutions, they're no good, <laughs> so I'm just going to make my own from scratch. So that's really yeah, yeah, yeah. impressive, yeah. if not else. Actually, there is a funny story you know? here. I saw somewhere, I, I'm not sure if I can say this, but I saw like the CEO of Photon, like he was bragging about Photon being like the leader of game networking. So uh, I, I said okay i took it as a challenge i I wanted to like do something that is like even better than them yeah so i i had like a motivation a challenge you, you have you have no idea how uh, Kerar is passionate about Netic. I, I'm really proud of him that he just yeah. released the integration for Godot. He, 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 he's like really, really passionate about Netic when he started working on it. And every time we meet, he can't stop talking about it. <laughs> and I, I have no, I, I have no knowledge in uh, networking. And, but like when he sees me, he just talk about Netic, what features he want to include. Like he's very, very passionate about it. And uh, I'm glad uh, that he reached this level with uh, Netic. Thank you, Al. Cool, very cool. And, you know, it's to me, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I know some networking, but more from like a user perspective. But I can imagine it, to me, it's really mind boggling that to even how to do that or where do you even begin yeah. You know, yeah. to to do something like that but could you then tell us for the people who would like to use something like that how do you use it like you download some sort of application or script or something and then how do you integrate that into your game and you know what can you do with it is it just for say that you want multiplayer or could you also use it for something like cloud saving or something like that or high score what risks. is the feature yeah. set so uh, well yeah. netic is like um uh, the the networking runtime you could say or the networking engine it actually is responsible for the uh, everything like synchronization and um prediction and um interpolation all this stuff that are that are like known in the networking so uh, to actually install it you, you actually just like for unity you just download the package and uh, like i made it as simple to use as possible. I know networking is hard. Uh, and the funny thing is that people hate networking and I don't know why. Like, like something that people dislike. I don't know why. Like, even like the, the networking solutions that are available, there are not even many because there, are, there aren't really many people who bother themselves to actually get into it, which is, I'm not sure if it's good or sad for me. It's, it's good because it, it gave me an excuse to do it. And, on that very note so i'm curious i mean i think this is an interesting question for all of the open source projects that are out there i mean to me it is also sort of mind-boggling that you have all of these great things i mean godot being an, a great example or blender that they're available they're amazing products and they're completely for free so could you tell us why why? Why is this uh, open source or free, or uh, why not have it as a paid product instead of having it as free as a free, something free? Um, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> I first released it as a paid product, but uh, I then decided to actually make it free. Uh, but even today, it's actually not open source. I want to make it open source, but there are certain things that actually some legal stuff. Sadly, that that I want to deal with first before I do that. I really want to make it open source, but as of now, it's actually free. And there's actually um, a paid version also, um, which includes like a few features that are like not needed for most games. So tell us more, how do you actually use it then? Yeah. So 
as a you know uh, a helicopter view how do you what is the step from going to your website to having it run and help you with implementing multiplayer for example well after you go to the site then you go to the unity asset store and you download it you down the project uh, actually it includes like a sample of complete uh, two samples there was a, a bomberman sample and there was a first person shooter sample uh, and uh, like the first person shooter sample is kind of very simple it's just to show people a simple example of a game so that they get started if they want to actually make a first person i don't i didn't want to add like uh, I don't. I don't want to add all kinds of features. I just wanted like a base that people could start from and make a first-person shooter. So if you want to make first-person shooter, you could just start from the first-person sample. And the Bomberman sample uh, is a bit more advanced. It shows you how to actually make, how to instantiate objects on the network, and uh, how to start the level, uh, and and a few uh, a few more things. Like it's a bit more advanced. But even then, it's not that advanced so using these samples looking at the source code it's documented and all that uh, you could actually uh, like get started and what is the architecture of this network engine so there are a couple of approaches to doing multiplayer as far as i know so you have for example the classic server client model where you have one server that sort of keeps tracks of basically who shoots who and who walks where and then sends that information to all of the other players so that everyone is in sync with each other. But there is also for some games the peer-to-peer model, for example, where there is not a, a master server, but rather that everyone broadcasts all of their information to everyone else. And so how is this network engine Netflix built? is a server authoritative solution. It uses the classic client-server model, but despite being classic, it's actually the most superior to this day. Like it's since like Quake 3, like it popularized this model with client-side prediction and all AAA games actually used it. But sadly, the for some reason, like the MD community really never bothered to uh, like implement client-side prediction, which is kind of essential for if you want to like make your game a, a little uh, like for some stuff it's impossible to actually cheat but uh, sadly so a uh, quick yeah uh, a quick uh, just follow up question so you said the uh, server side prediction no no I, I client side prediction Oh, sorry, sorry. Could you just, uh, just give us a quick uh, overview of what that is for those who don't yeah. know? Client-server prediction, basically, and uh, first I have to explain what is the client-server model. And the client-server model, basically, yeah. the client sends inputs to the server, and the server replies by giving the result to these inputs, and the result to this input is the state. So the client says, I want to move my character one meter. The server uh, replies with the position moved one meter. So in this model, it's it's like a very simple uh, implementation, but it's not really feasible because of internet latency, because of ping. Because in this mo- simple model, you basically have to wait as much ping just to see your character moving. So this uh, to make this actually work, you have to do something called client-side prediction. So client-side prediction basically means that these inputs, the client, this input that the client sent to the server instead of actually waiting for the server to send back the state for the result of the input, what the client does actually is execute these inputs locally. In other words, as they say, predict the outcome of these inputs locally. And when the server sends back the result or the state, the client will override the current state with that server state and 
actually do something that, uh, that uh, it re-simulates all the inputs that are uh, new newer from this state. Because the server, when the server sends uh, this state, it's in the past. It's, it's old. So the, the, while yeah. in, the, in this meantime, the client actually has executed like five, depending on the Bing, the client has executed five inputs and has saved them. So if, if the server sends back the result to, to like the third input, what we will do or what cancer version does is remove all those old inputs and apply this new state and then re-execute or re-simulate all these saved inputs up to that point, the local or let's say the present of the client, the present time of the client, and all this actually happens instantly. Like this kind, this operation just happens. Like you don't really see this simulation. It happens instantly. So I guess this is where so-called free slag comes into the picture. Like when you have a really bad connection yes. that you move somewhere with your character and then all of a sudden you just teleport back exactly. five steps or you go somewhere else than you intended. And that's the server trying to correct what you know actually happened what, what happens here is that the inputs are lost like the client inputs are lost the server didn't even know what the client wanted so the server sent back a state the, without inputs so the client just goes back the client already predicted all those inputs but uh, sadly the server tell, uh, tells it that this inputs i didn't even execute them so you have to go back and the client just goes back nice and for our listeners who want to implement multiplayer in their game and want to try your network engine out, do you have to have any prerequisite knowledge to use it or can anyone like learn from it from, for example, the samples or documentation or do you have to know all like these things yeah. about how like server and clients work or is there anywhere where you should start assuming that you know nothing about networking and then want to use your product uh, to be honest like uh, i would say that if you if, if, if you have never made a game before then just go make a sim- uh, simple uh, single player game or something like start with single player first just so that you know actually how a game works some people just like jump into multiplayer you can't just jump into multiplayer because it's like there are a lot of things like you actually need to know how to actually move something first before you actually move something in multiplayer moving something in multiplayer requires a lot of so it's quite a, like a big cognitive load will be on the user. And I'm also curious about the the porting to Godot. So could you, since I think as you've heard as well that there's this whole thing with Unity and its yes. pricing changes. So a lot of people are looking at other engines. And here you are with one alternative. So say that you have made your game with multiplayer in Unity. Now you can port your game to Godot and your plugin will also work, I assume, the same in Godot. So could you tell us how difficult was it to port it to Godot or was this, that just something that was easy to fix or something? Actually, uh, when I wanted to like, port Netic into another engine, to be honest, my first, like this is before the, what happened with, with Unity. Actually, I, my first option was an engine called Flux. Like that was the, the thing I wanted to port Netic to. But the uh, Flux engine is uh, at this moment like it's kind of early, like it has a lot of bugs. So even when I was trying to port Netic into it, it was like it kept caching on me. So I just uh, left it. So uh, and and uh, because I got some of my users said that they wanted to switch to Godot, that gave me like more reasons and because Godot is like the most popular engine after unity and unreal so um because of the nature of the netic 2 it's completely separated from the the engine 
so like the integration for for with with Godot, I I as I said like when I want to do something I just put myself into it. So uh, in two weeks I just worked like every day and started to learn Godot, or I call it Godot, <laughs> and and the creator also calls it that. Everyone calls it differently. So uh, I started learning it and stuff, all while also trying to put network to it. I had some difficulties, but actually I got a lot of like help from the of Discord of Godot. I'm curious. You work on this and the other game. Like, do you have another job on side, or is this what you do for a living? Actually, I, I graduated like a, a year ago, so in, in uh, like it's a free year just to see where I can get, go with the net. As I, could I like make it my job? And to be honest, uh, at this current level, it's it's impossible to do that. I'm just hoping that things will improve in the future, like it gets mm. more popular and stuff. So otherwise, actually, I will have to like find a job and i'm actually like mm. uh, i i'm already like looking for something cool about the engine that you're using so you are using unity do you have any concerns about that engine or would you ever consider switching or are you set on unity for your game well um this is a bit complicated like i, I it's like we actually have bought a lot of assets and tools that are like they that like we can't really even port them to other engines and they don't exist in other engines which we need them to actually make our game so it's like we can't we don't really have an option so thankfully unity reverted the ridiculous pricing change it's kind of uh, like the future of unity has become unknown to be honest like they can't like just change the pricing and the business model or something just like that out of nowhere yeah, actually, the like Flux. Flux is, is extremely similar to Unity, uh, and also it, it kind of like fixes some of the problems in Unity that ha- have like never been fixed. So it's extremely promising. Like it's like one guy working on it, and he's doing an insane job. I don't think we asked. Like, how long do you think it is until the the final ge- the, the the game is out? Conquest. Not everything, but a lot. Like our plan is actually to like do two maps only or something like that. So we actually not not like going like ten maps or something like this double games or something. Yeah. And if I can give you a piece of advice, I would absolutely advise you to start publishing about the game and talking about it as quickly as you can, even though it's not in a finished or playable state. Because the thing that we, something that I've learned a lot on this podcast and you interviewing a lot of indie developers is that unfortunately the harsh truth about making games is that unless you have a marketing guy or something like that, the only person who cares about your game is yourself. So to when you do start publishing and have something real, it would be a, a lot better to have a small following at least that can share your content and, and spread it around. But then if you start at zero when you are sort of finished, then you will have a, a lot of things to to work up towards. Uh, actually, yeah. like we want to actually get to something like, we want to like to get to a demo level so that we actually start publishing because we don't want like to to uh, promise people things like like who knows like the game could probably maybe like never come out so actually like there's a small community who knows about the game and and to this day like they still uh, contact us and tell us where is the game <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and 
just as a, as a self, shameless self-promotion for our listeners, if you're interested in anything related to marketing and things, I think episode 41 with Falklands and episode, let's see, the one with Yahya. Where's that? Number 26. Both of those are, we talk a lot about reaching out and, you know, marketing your game as early as possible. Yeah. Because I think it's, as Rune said, it's really impressive what you're doing from the screenshots that that I've seen. And I think you are probably on your way to making something fantastic. So I think people also are just interested not only in the just finished product, but also the journey of following it. It's really exciting to see, I mean, even funny bugs or something that is, look, we're doing this for the first time and then seeing it improved over time. I think people really like that story, and if we can help anything at all with spreading the game, then I'm really happy for it. But uh, I absolutely advise you, just spread it around and, yeah. Alright, I think we're starting to approach one hour of recording, so I think before we end the episode, would you just like to give us, plug it all, just give us information on... Where can our listeners find you? Where can they see what the game looks like? And, you know, the network engine, everything you want to promote. If there's anything else, just go right ahead. Well, there is like a main website for Netic, which is netic.net, exactly like that. And from there, you could get into like my Discord. And actually, when I want to start publishing on the game, I will do it on my Discord for Netic. The first place. So, like, it's really the only place. Yeah, perfect. And uh, again, to all of the listeners, we will, as usual, post all of the links that we can find related to this episode in the description. So, please go and check it out there. And I will uh, link to our guests. Uh, we will link to the games that we talk about and everything else that might be relevant. So, please check that out. And I think, as usual, I'm uh, to follow my own advice, I'm going to just plug ourselves a little bit that if anyone uh, have any guests that they would like to have us uh, on this show or if there's anything that you would like us to talk about or if you want to send a voice message, we have that possibility. So just check the description. Everything is there. Comment and uh, let us know. Yeah, uh, Rune, do you have anything else before we end the episode or anything you want to ask or anything like that? Uh, no, I'm all good. Remember to hit the subscribe button as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know the usual stuff. That... <laughs> and thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I should say to all of our guests that you are most welcome back if you have any updates or anything you want to plug. You know, the, this is also a, pl- a platform to, to market your stuff. So you're most welcome back and, and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. All right. I guess that does it for the episode. So again, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Rune, so much for being my amazing co-host as always. And thank you, listener, for listening to us for uh, this entire time. So see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.